0: Greetings, geeks! Welcome to Wizards, the Podcast Guide to Comics, bonus episode, The Dark Book. I'm Michael, and tonight we have yet another book that I have never opened the cover for, mostly because it's quite scary, and because I'm super lazy, and just hoping that it's not filled with all valiant and image villains
1: that I know nothing about. (laughs) And, like the jacket... It keeps me safe when I'm jogging at night. I'm Steven. Uh, Tonight we're diving into The Dark Book, a comprehensive look at comic book villains. This is a special issue of Wizard Magazine, kind of a library edition, part of their Collector's Library Series Volume 1. And joining us tonight is a man that helped to reignite my love for comic book conventions in college. And for as long as I've known him, he has been obsessed with all villains, from horror movies to comic books and everything in between, please welcome to the show one of my best friends and a fellow Long Islander, John Tarani. Thank you,
2: Stephen. I am so excited to dive into the dark book. I bought it when it came out, and I still have my copy, although it's missing currently. Mike, it's it's great to meet you. We've got three Long Island boys here, and I'm <laughs> sure we're going to do a great job dissecting the dark book.
0: I'm looking forward to it, honestly. If you had asked me if I had even known about this book, I didn't realize it existed. But then when I saw the cover for the first time, I remembered seeing it on shelves. And as a kid at, you know, 11, 12 years old, because it was, you know, carnage on the cover, I was afraid. I'm like, I don't know if I want to get this book. It's a little scary. So, John, let me ask you normally when we have a guest on for the first time we like to hear a little bit about them so can you give us your comic book origin story
2: i can and i'm excited to do this because um i listened to some of your other podcasts and i heard other guys origin stories it was really a nice trip down memory lane so i can tell you i got my first comic book in 1987 my grandmother bought it for me at a candy store and it's probably the only comic that i don't currently have that was given to me. I have other comics from when I was six, seven years old. I read it till it fell apart. I carried it with me everywhere. And um, it's Transformers number 26. Wow. Um, it's an issue that has caused me great, great uh, personal stress in the year of 2020. And I know that 2020 was difficult for a lot of people. And you know, I did pretty well, being that the hardest thing for me in 2020 revolved around Transformers number 26. I guess if I'm a villain, my motivation is driven by Transformers number
0: 26. What about it? Yeah, what's so significant? I'm, I'm curious now. Um, it'll come book. It'll
2: come back later. I will bookend my origin story with Transformers number 26. My first superhero comic, though, um, I got in December of 1991. And it's Hearts of Darkness, which is the graphic novel with Punisher, Ghost Rider, and Wolverine crossing over. And it has beautiful John Ramita Jr. cover art. And the stories by Howard Mackey, who wrote most of Dan Ketch Ghost Rider Run, which I just absolutely love. So after I got that in '91, we were off to the races. You know, I was doing Death of Superman, Punisher War Zone, Venom, Spawn. I was into Certain Valiant titles, Nightfall, and the uh, the X Big X crossover. I was into was uh, Executioner's Song. Okay, and then uh, a, a milestone for me was in '93 when I went to my first big comic show at the Nassau Coliseum with Todd McFarlane as a guest, he was the big guest and I bought comics specifically to bring there to have him sign. Needless to say, I I was not even able to get close to McFarlane. Those books remain unsigned, but I did get a copy of Predator Race War, which has beautiful Dave Dorman covers. The interiors are done by a guy named Jordan Raskin, who's, Good, but he's he's a storyboard artist now. He's out of comics now. So I got that signed by Raskin at the show. It is a great story. It's like a heavy story. It's set in a prison. It's not really for a twelve-year-old, but beautiful, <laughs> beautiful covers, beautiful art, and a good story. And then in '94, I got out of comics. I want no. I, I don't want to say I got out of comics, but I got into Magic: The Gathering. Okay, and I was going to comic stores. Because everyone kind of switched over to magic cards. That was their primary business. And it it, was kind of the beginning of what I call the the first Great Depression in comics, where everyone was into collectible card games, and comics kind of were like a secondary thing. And during this time, I still bought comics, and I was able to fill in huge runs of, of Punisher and Ghost Rider for really cheap. It, it was really a great time, and I I got my first like kind of big comic, which was Giant Size Spider Man. I believe it's number three, which is the third appearance of the Punisher. I might be getting the number wrong. It might be Giant Size Spider Man number three. It's Spider Man's caught up in barbed wire on the cover. It's a beautiful cover. I think it's uh, Ramita Senior art. And then in '98, I was really into going to conventions, like either sci-fi or You know, other types of conventions, anytime where, any place where you can like meet big guests. I found out about a convention that was going to be happening in Manhattan in a church basement Hmm. that Kevin Smith was going to be appearing at. Interesting. Now, I was a Kevin Smith super fan at this time. So all I cared about was going to this, come hell or high water, I was going to be at this (laughs) convention with Kevin Smith. So my friend, who's still my friend to this day, Connor went with me to this convention and we met Kevin Smith in a church basement. And at that time they were teasing Marvel Knights because Kevin Smith was there promoting his daredevil, his Marvel daredevil run with Casada and Palmiati. So it's a good run. I love that book. It's a, it's a great run. Mysterio's the villain in it, that show and meeting those guys and the birth of Marvel Knights is what got me into buying weekly comics because I was buying that Daredevil run. I was buying the Punisher run um, that I was associated with, which was a four issue miniseries and probably the Punisher's worst storyline ever. He's a magic trench coat and he's pulling out weapons. and He's fighting angels. Horrible story. This sounds great to me, but oh well. <laughs> it's sad because Bernie Wrightson, who's a master. Does the interiors Jusco does the covers, oh. Palmiotti inks, and a writer that I like, Tom um, Sniguski, I'm probably saying his name wrong, but it's terrible. And that spawns "Welcome Back, Frank" mm-hmm. in 2000, which Wizard called the greatest comeback in the history of comics. And by the time "Welcome Back, Frank" is out, I am buying comics weekly. Every Wednesday, I'm in the comic store. I've got pull lists. I happen to be working right next to a comic book store in the mall. In the Smithhaven mall there's a store called Planet Comics and I work right next door at, a, at at a Hot Topic. So I am in that store daily.
0: Sadly, Planet Comics is no longer there. It's a Smith GameStop. And... It's a, it, it is a it, <laughs> It's a GameStop it, it's, now. It,
2: it became a GameStop in 2003, so I had to start going to another go stores in, in
0: the Fourth in, World
2: I I started going to Fourth World. Yeah, let me tell you. Yeah, okay. Let me tell you why Fourth World is significant. In 2003, one Wednesday, I'm in a Fourth World. I'm anticipating the release of an image title called Frankenstein's Mobster. Okay. (laughs) And with Frankenstein's Mobster, two other horror titles came out a classic that everyone knows called Sword of Dracula. You know, it was like a miniseries. It was supposed to get picked up for a movie or something. Mm-hmm. And a little book called Walking Dead. Yeah. So I bought Frankenstein's Mobster, Sword of Dracula, and, and the by Walking, Walking Dead, number oh, you, one. You did? Oh, really? On okay. the day it came out. Wow. That's why Fourth World is always special to me.
0: Yeah, I love um, that place. That That's the place that got me back into comics for the most part, really, like...
1: I still go to there all the time. I'm I'm friends with the owners and they're they're good people over there. So John, you and I met at Hofstra at 2001 and that's when you started like making us go to conventions with you. Yeah. Yeah, and that was kind of like my reintroduction to like comic book conventions. I'd been going, but you and I started going way more to like chiller theater, which is more of a horror sci-fi memorabilia yeah. convention. And then other similar things and then comic book stores. Uh, The Tri County Flea Market, where you were just like diving through the dollar bins and quarter bins there. Yeah, and then I remember, and I've told this story about I used I worked at Midtown Comics for six weeks, maybe. Right. Yeah, yeah, I remember that in like early 2005, January of 2005, and I got like a crazy discount. I want to say it was fifty percent. Yeah, fifty
2: percent off. Yeah, you're doing well there.
1: (laughs) And and I you know I was working at Midtown, so I was not making a ton of money, but John. I was like, hey, let me know what you want and I'll get it for you. And he was all like horror comics. And then you were just giving me, you know, whatever random comic you saw. It's like, yeah, that sounds fun. I'll pick that up. Yeah. And the amount of crap I got from like the nerdy staff at Midtown Comics, like, oh, you read this horror book? Oh, like I didn't want to say all oh, these are for my friend, but. Jokes on them, because uh, Walking Dead ended up being a cultural phenomenon that we're going
2: to have with us for the rest of our lives. There'll be Walking Dead spinoffs long after we are actually dead. So it's kind of we have Robert Kirkman to thank for it. You know, an amazing thing. It's it's definitely part of my origin story. I, I'll tell you that.
0: If you've been to New York Comic Con at all for the last, I'd <laughs> well, say. Seven or eight years, every single badge every year is Walking Dead badges. Mm -hmm. The the you know the headlining event at New York Comic Con is always always Walking walking Dead. dead. It's personally super annoying because i'm like i went to new york comic-con way way back when it was like the first three or four years and the each badge each year was different like i have one that's green lantern one that's a you know now it's just every year it's just walking dead badges and it's just like come on i i know that they're probably dumping so much money into new york comic-con for that but i'm just like i want to see something else as like the headliner for that show
2: i just i just want to mention two things about new york comic-con and then i'll then I'll be done with my origin story. So I've gone to all of them except for one, which was the first one. And at 2013 New York Comic Con, I got that Predator Race War comic signed by Dave Dorman. So I got the interior artist in 93, and then I got the cover artist in 2013. So it was a real nice 20 year of my fandom. Yes, of my journey in in that issue. At the uh, 2015 New York Comic Con, I bought my first really big, big issue. I finally got uh, first appearance of Punisher, Spider-Man 129. And basically, when Walking Dead ended in uh, 2019, I retired officially from Weekly Comics. I am, I am done with Weekly Comics. I only, at this point, I'm only collecting original artwork and uh, high-end pieces. After getting that 129, I was like, this is what I want. I want. I want high-end books. I want one-of a kind items. I want screen use props. Comics are great, they're cool, but they take up too much space. I, I still read comics. You know, I do digital stuff. I do graphic novels. Uh, my Amazon wish list has got tons of graphic novels, but I can't bring myself to go out every Wednesday buy stuff. Some of it's good, some of it sucks. R- right now it's it's I want I, I want stuff with like a, a, a wow factor in, in my collection.
0: But John, I gotta know, you didn't tell us. How did the Transformers book come to play? Oh, yes.
2: oh, oh <laughs> this, this thing. Oh, my God. Oh, it, 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 hurts. it hurts me to talk about. Okay, so March of last year, I've been following this auction, a prop store auction, so it's all movie props, but they have the cover to Transformers 26 in the auction. And I'm like, comic guys don't follow this site. They're not going to bid on this. But <sighs> there's this COVID thing that's happening. I don't know if I'm going to lose my job. I don't know if I should should I bid on it? Should I not bid on it? Let me just watch the auction. Okay, no one bids on it. All right. So maybe I'll I'll reach out to the to I'll reach I'll keep in the back of my mind I'll reach out to the prop store. Maybe they'll tell me who the consigner is and maybe I can buy it later. Time passes. I think about it occasionally, whatever. I'm truly blessed and thankful. Kept my job all through COVID. Not that COVID's over, but I kept my job all through twenty twenty. And in the fall, lo and behold, another comic art-only auction on the site Comic Link has Transformers 26. Someone is, is offering it. It's, it's up for auction. It's including a, a certificate of authenticity from the prop store. So someone beat me to the prop store, got it from the prop store, and is now selling it in the Comic Link auction. Oh, wow. I know it's going to go for way more than what it would have gone for on the prop store. So this guy, who's smarter and faster than me, got it at that probably a very cheap amount of money and is flipping it, fine. I'll deal with it. I talk to guys who do do these high-end things all the time, and they tell me all the time, I buy stuff that I sold. I sold it, and I buy it back for more than what I So I'm like, okay, well, that's where I am now. I'm I'm in this incredibly (laughs) situation, having to spend way more than I should on this thing, but it's you know, it's the story with my grandmother, whatever, I gotta have it. It's not even that good of a cover. It's it's a it's a herb, it's a herb trimpy cover. You know, the guy who did Wolf you know, the Hulk 181. So, whatever. That's the only reason why anyone would want it is because it's a Herb Trimpy cover. And the way Comic Link does their auctions, it's the same as eBay, where it's a timed auction. It doesn't have an mm-hmm. auctioneer. And I hate those. I hate those. Because it's it's if your if your internet messes up, if something one little thing, whatever, if if The person with the highest bid at the when time runs out gets it. It doesn't matter if I'm willing to spend ten thousand dollars more. Okay. I might be willing to spend ten thousand dollars more and the consigner could make extra money, but that's it doesn't matter. It's it's about who has the bid and when the time runs out, which I hate. I I like it. It's like, all right, you want it, I want it. What we'll see who wants it more. You know, that that's that's what I like. I like auctions with auctioneers. Anyway, that's not where we are. I have to I have to deal with the stress of the timed auction. So I'm there. It's going for a a good amount of money, but not out of my means. So I put a bid in, which I think no one is going to touch. And it says you're the current high bidder. I'm like, Oh, okay. I got it. Good. And then the page refreshes and it says, sorry, you lost. I almost threw this laptop across the room. (laughs) I was beside myself. I was shaking. I could feel a physical change in my body how did this happen how could this possibly have happened at the time that the auction expired it told me i was the high bidder how is it that now after the auction has ended somehow someone has beat me by a hundred dollars a hundred dollars well sorry to bring that up <laughs> yeah so now i'm going to go to comic-con or i'm going to be at some comic art show and there's going to be some to a person just bought it to flip it and I'm going to have to spend even more money than I would have if I just bought it back in March of a year ago when I saw it at the prop store auction. Wow, that is
0: quite a story. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> so you have something over your shoulder that I'm pretty impressed by. Yep. You have a Bowen-designed devil dinosaur? That's what's impressing you? Yes! That's what's impressing you over my shoulder? Not this original Gene Colan cover from Tomb
2: of Dracula? Holy shit. That You're impressed by the Bowen statue and not this published Marvel cover? You like Devil Dinosaur here. I love Devil Dinosaur and I love Bowen designs. I do too, but come on. It's it's an original Gene Colin
1: piece. Well, speaking of original covers here, John, the cover for this dark book is from Nelson DeCastro. It's a painted image of Carnage. Yes. It was flipped the opposite way of how it was intended. This was covered on uh, the Wizard Files podcast interview with Doug Goldstein. We're going to play a clip from that now. What
0: are some of your memories about putting the Dark Book together specifically? I remember three things that may not be of anyone's interest. I remember that we had to flip the artwork for the cover, and that was a big deal because the artist didn't mean it that way. I remember that I wanted to use a piece of John Byrne artwork for the introduction, but the person who wrote the introduction wasn't John Byrne.
1: So I called him for permission on that. Wow! And I remember that I suggested a lot of pastel colors for a
2: certain article, and then the designers were like, you told us never to use pastels. And I'm like, oh, God. Um... (laughs) what? that's the book that made you a hypocrite. Okay, got it.
1: And so, John, can you tell us, didn't you find the original art for this recently?
2: I, I did. I did. Since I'm so into original art, there's this
1: guy, Bill Cox,
2: who runs a site called Comic Art Fans. It's an awesome site. It's a great resource. Basically, he, it's, it's a collection of listings of original art for sale, and it's also kind of like a, a museum where people post their own collections that are even not for sale. But it's great because you get to see who owns it, where is it now. And the DeCastro cover—it's not for sale, but the guy who owns it uh, had it posted on Comic Art Fans, and I, I had no idea that the image was reversed, where Carnage is facing the other direction on the cover. It's cool just seeing, you know, seeing the clean image before it's uh, published.
1: Oh. For a while, you could find really? comic books and and you know Wizard magazines at Toys R Us, and I remember buying this off the shelf at Toys R Us. It's a pretty striking image.
0: First up, let's talk about a consideration of villainy introduction. This book starts with a very scholarly introduction by John Byrne. When the American comic book gave birth to the superhero, it was only natural that it also gave us the superhero's exact counterpart, the supervillain, which I've always said, you know, like the Joker is the exact counterpart of Batman. Lex Luthor is the exact counterpart of Superman and so on and so forth. That's an interesting way that they put that. Byrne notes that while the early villains for DC heroes were mostly burglars, even the Joker, that when Stan Lee, Jack Kirby, and Steve Ditko created the Marvel Universe, they stretched the boundaries, created villains that weren't cardboard cutouts, and often gave them tragic backstories. To quote Byrne, peruse what follows and ask yourself which of the villains paraded before you are the really great one i'll predict right now that when you pair away the spikes the chains the cool stuff the ones who really reach you on some important intrinsic level will be the ones who have layers to them depths
1: really crapping on the 90s uh style there yeah, it really is. <laughs> the
0: the, the dumping on the spikes is pretty funny, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this book came with a large poster that listed the top 100 villains of all time up until this point. And we're just going to read through the top 10. Number 10 is Baron Zemo. Number nine is Bane. Number eight
2: is Axe, a computer wizard that was an XO Man of War villain
1: in Valiant. That was my note, because I didn't think anyone would know who Axe was. Might, I had no idea who Axe was. Ax he was, was uh, a member <laughs> of the I <laughs> Number seven is Apocalypse. Number six is Annihilus.
2: Number five is Angela, now in the Marvel Universe.
1: Number four is The Violator. Number three is Master Dark, who was a Shadow Man villain. <laughs> wow. John, who do you
0: have for number two there? Magneto. And number one is the Joker. I find it very interesting to note Darkseid is not on this list. Thanos is not on this list. Galactus is not on this list. There's a lot of major, major villains that are not even on this list. It's got In- Doom?
2: It's got yeah. Zemo ahead of Red Skull.
0: Yeah, right. True, yeah. yeah. Axe, who, you know, essentially is probably what? A, a four year old character at this point, maybe? No Lex Luthor, no Catwoman. Yeah. Wow. Like, really weird like i would almost say this is a terrible list because of the fact that i feel like the publishers are just throwing money here make our guys the bad guys and make them in the top 10 because i this is a terrible list if you ask me other than joker magneto bane but even bane
1: at this point he he had only really done one
0: thing i guess because it's such a big deal that someone was able to defeat batman but again doomsday is not on this list
2: that's a, that's a really good point. I yeah. I would I would definitely put Doomsday before Bane.
0: I would think yeah. so too. So we're going to kick things off by listing our top five villains, and we're going to see if we change our minds along the way. So let's start off with our number five, and then I will work our way down. So John is our guest. Who's your number oh. five villain?
2: My number five villain is the Maestro. I really got into the maestro when I started doing the Marvel Unlimited, the digital app. And I read uh, Peter, David, and George Perez's uh, Hulk Future Imperfect. And I I just fell in love with the maestro, who is Bruce Banner, who is the Hulk, set Mm -hmm. in an alternate future where there's a cataclysmic event where the other heroes die and the Hulk becomes a despotic ruler. Uh, radiation um, affects his brain and he's a bit of a tyrant. It's a really cool story. I love the design, the bald Hulk with the, the long beard. And um, he uh, had a bit of a comeback like around 2010. And I don't know if you remember at the last New York Comic-Con, there was a statue of the maestro that was like 20 feet tall.
0: I do remember that. Yeah, you're yeah. right. And
2: it's kind of a kind of a weird character to see a 20-foot tall statue of in the middle of the Javits Center, but <laughs> I thought it was awesome. I, I love the maestro, I, and I, I, I think he'd be a great villain
0: for the MCU. Yeah. Yeah. Steven, who's your number five?
1: So this might be a controversial choice because it's not technically a comic book villain, but I went with the bookworm, <laughs> who was a Batman 1966 villain played by Roddy McDowell, he was basically like like the Riddler, but he was obsessed with books. His outfit looked like a leather bound book. And he did eventually show up in Batman Brave and the Bold, the animated series. And I believe he's since been in the Batman 66 comic book. So I've always loved the bookworm. Yes, <laughs> John knows I've always loved the bookworm. It's true. Couldn't not include my, him. my number five is Clayface, because I think.
0: Of all villains, he has one of the most tragic stories, mm-hmm. and and he's got, he's got such a, I think, especially the way they portray it in the Batman the Animated Series, for okay. his origin story, it's such a beautiful couple of episodes that it really cements that I, I love that character as a villain. So, John, who, who is your number four?
2: My number four is Judge Death from 2000 AD, first appeared in Prague 149 and um he's from an alternate reality where living is a crime and uh during a drug uh, during a judge dread storyline called necropolis he crossed over from dead world into Mega City one and he killed 60 million people who would later become zombies in another judge dread storyline so i i think he's an awesome villain and they kind of Put a little Easter egg about him in the Judge Red movie with Carl Urban. And I really hope we get a TV series or something where we, where everybody gets to see Judge Death. His character design is amazing. Uh, he's he's a villain. He's definitely a villain with a body count of uh, 60 million.
1: Steven, who's your number four? I went with a classic, Dr. Octopus. Always my favorite Spider-Man villain. In the comic books, he did try to marry Aunt May at one point, which is basically <laughs> the most evil thing you can do to Spider-Man. So Doc Ock, that's my guy.
0: That is pretty good. My number four is also a Spider-Man villain, and it is M- Mephisto, the devil. Just because I hate One More Day so much, I hate that story so much, it makes me so mad. John, who's your number three?
2: My number three is Doomsday, and wow. uh, I'll, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll tell you why, because he was, he was just a, a, such a quintessential part of the 90s with the death of Superman, really kicking off that that nineties boom. And like, he kind of is the high tide that raised all the boats. I love the way he looks and it could just be because that's because I grew up with him and I I collected the death of Superman and I think he's a great character. And I I would, I would just love to own any page from the death of Superman with doomsday on it. Yeah. He killed Superman with a great big punch, Um, (laughs) but it was a significant punch and it was a, uh, it definitely uh, changed the comic landscape.
0: You'd have to assume, though, like, to punch Superman hard enough would cause some sort of seismic earthquake, you know, crack in the earth or something like that. Like, it just, it seems like it would have done more than just kill him. Like, you should have just leveled the whole city of Metropolis at the same time in order to kill Superman, hit he, him that hard. He
1: absorbed the blow. Come on. Yeah, Yeah. sure, sure. Yeah. Okay, whatever. Steven, number three. <laughs> number three, Galactus, the world eater. Come on. That design is amazing that helmet is just beautiful i've recently been reading the mike allred kind of art run on silver surfer and galactus is in that he's mm-hmm. just such a great classic character galactus adam's really breaking you on this mike allred run here you, you I went know. all
0: through madman and you're now you <laughs> i
1: know i'm digging through got, mike allred
0: you got to read Eye zombie too it's very very good i'll get there uh, my number three is the joker I don't need to go into any detail, but when I tell you my top two, you'll be like, oh, interesting. So, okay. That's so, John, number two. My number two,
2: I don't know, if th- maybe this is kind of cheating, but uh, I just put the, uh, the symbiotes, um, you know, Venom, Carnage, any one of them. I feel they're also, uh, they're kind of great villains of the 90s. And um, they definitely have, from when they came out, they're kind of always involved in the Spider-Verse in some way. And um, I think I think their biggest day is yet to come. And I think that Woody Harrelson is going to kill it as Cletus Cassidy. Oh, I think um, so, too. I think he's going to be awesome. Know, so I'm, I'm very, very excited to see what happens with Venom and Carnage moving forward. So Carnage is my number two on the cover of the dark book, Carnage. Nice. Steven, you're number two.
1: Doctor Doom. Once Mine again. Mine, too. I'm going I'm to just... Okay. Mine was, yeah. Same. Probably, be, be, you know, definitely because of the Roger Corman movie that we watched together. Yes, That's obviously. has got to be the reason. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there's not much more you can say about Doctor Doom. Just the quintessential Silver Age Kirby and Stanley villain. Okay, John, you're number one. Steve knows. Everyone who knows well. me knows.
2: It's the Joker. Always been my favorite. I love the Joker. I root for the Joker. And I, I'll tell you the reason why I think the Joker is so great is because. He came out when? What, what was the first appearance of the Joker? What is it? Um, Batman number, number one, 1940. Bat- Batman number one, 1940. Okay. So now in 2021, he's still the biggest villain he's had. You know, in the past two years, how many movies are like, we, we got the Joaquin Joker and then now we're getting the Leto Joker and then we're going to have another Joker in and then – Spinning off of the Joker, you have Harley Quinn. So the Joker is always being reinvented. Perfect villain for every era, and you know, like he continues to top himself. I feel like I love him more as time goes on. Did
0: you read uh, the Jeff Johns uh, Three Jokers book yet?
2: No, no, it's it's on my Amazon wishlist. No one uh, bought it for me. No one buy it. bought it for me. Just it's on buy my it. it's if, it's... if some generous person is listening to this and wants <laughs> to go to my Amazon wishlist and buy it for me.
0: By I the really hardcover.
2: Really appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Get I'm... this man the hardcover. It's yeah. a good book. And they're already talking about a sequel. The Joker is an interesting character because, like you said, they can reinvent him. There are so many different versions of the Joker,
1: but they all work in their own way. Uh, so, Steven, who's your number one? Similar to the Joker, it's a Batman villain. It's the Riddler. Obviously, I grew up loving Batman 66, Frank Gorshin's portrayal. Just was incredible, but then what really solidified it for me was when I was a kid. My brother and I picked up picked up a comic book called Secret Origin Special Number One, which told the origin of Riddler, Two Face, and Penguin, and you kind of see a little bit more of the Riddler's tragic backstory. And yeah, I've always just related to him. I love him. So I have one honorable mention, and Ooh. it's Ozymandias
0: from the Watchmen. I was
1: thinking that too.
0: But my number one villain, and you guys are going to think this is very weird, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you why. Superboy Prime. Okay. I love an evil Superman. <laughs> I love an evil Superman. I don't even so know So good. This. Oh, Superboy Prime is the villain in Infinite Crisis. He is one of the villains in uh, the Sinestro Wars and Green Lantern. Such a cool villain, so evil, and <laughs> hates being called Superboy. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so that's, that's why I like him.
2: That's cool. That's that's kind of like my maestro. With, you know, I like the villains that are actually they are the hero. Is Superboy Prime? Is he like Superboy? But just like
0: oh yeah, he's yeah. His Earth, he was the Superboy, but his that's Earth awesome. got ki- killed by um uh, the Anti Monitor, and he he but he never was able to grow up past the like teenage boy age and he becomes this major major villain to try to wipe out the multiverse several times over and he's almost succeeded a couple times they had to actually imprison him in the power battery at one point and he broke out of it like it's very very cool villain and they just brought him back again recently, which was pretty awesome, in Death Metal, which is really cool. So, Stephen, do you want to take
1: us into our table of contents? Sure. So this magazine starts with an article about the Golden Age villains. and It says, So early villains in comics were often characters from pulp novels, like Fu Manchu. But the first true and original comic supervillain was not Lex Luthor, but Ultra Humanite, who became Superman's first recurring nemesis in Action Comics number 38. Like Lex Luthor, he was a bald supervillain intent on world domination. This trope continued with other bald mad scientists like Batman villains Dr. Death and Hugo Strange. But a new class of criminal emerged in the spring of 1940, and wait till you get a load of him. John- in Batman number one, Bob Kane and Jerry Robinson
2: brought together the best elements of pulp, comics, and movies to create the true comic villain in the Joker. The Joker combined the horrifying visuals of the best Dick Tracy villains The methods of the Mad Pulp magazine scientist and the and the flair for the dramatic of movie gangsters. And he set the standard for every villain who followed him.
1: So what are your uh, we've talked about the Joker in our previous section, but in general, Michael, you're a huge Batman fan. John, you're a huge Joker fan. What do you like about these two characters together? Why are they such a perfect yin and yang for each other? Well, if you
0: break them down to their bare minimum thing, the Joker is chaos incarnate and Batman wants to have some sort of control or order or sustain normalcy and, and so on and so forth. And this wild card essentially is just totally uncontrollable and nobody can reel him in. And I think that when you look at Batman and he looks at the Joker he sees a reflection of himself that he could have been.
2: That's the thing that I, I didn't really think about until the 89 Batman came out, where you realize, well, wait a minute, like Batman's crazy too. What I like about the Joker is that he is not motivated by revenge. He's not motivated by money. There's nothing about him where the hero can say, oh, well, he really wants this or he's motivated by by this so we could use that against him. That to me is what makes the Joker so good of a character in that there's a certain amount of predictability when it comes to certain villains where you know, okay, well, he, his primary concern is this, he's motivated by this, so how do we use that against him? That does not exist with the Joker. He's motivated by what he finds funny.
0: Did either of you guys read Batman R.I.P.? It's a Grant Morrison book. Batman doesn't exactly die. It's a long story, but whatever. One of the biggest things in that, and this has been a case in a lot of different Batman and Joker stories, is the Joker does not care who Batman really is. He just loves the idea of torturing Batman. And And I find that so interesting that he just, he loves this myth of who Batman could be and how he can drive this person crazy, and by knowing his real identity will r- we'll ruin that magic for him.
1: Well, and just on a purely visual level, you know, those characters are so opposite each other. Especially in the 89 Batman, you've got this stark, black suit Batman against this colorful, weird clown. Do you guys think
0: Batman killed him in the killing joke, or is it just that they,
1: at
2: the end of it? No, I never thought that until people brought it up, and I don't like that people think that.
0: I don't think he did either. I I don't think he did either.
2: Yeah. No, I got uh, got
0: it as them sharing a laugh for the first time. That's why I love Killing Joke
2: so much. I went to the Fathom events and saw the animated Killing Joke in the theater.
0: I know a lot of people don't like that movie. I kind of liked it. Like, I have no problem with it. 1940 also saw the debut of a few other villains that would go on to become legend. Catwoman was also debuted in Batman number one. She was portrayed as a stewardess who got amnesia after a plane crash and her vague recollections of her father's pet shop full of cats served as the inspiration for her to start a life of crime. (laughs) I didn't know that at all. I find that really interesting. They obviously have retconned that a gazillion times over.
1: That's not what happened in Batman Returns?
0: Spoilers, everybody. 1940 also saw the first appearance of Lex Luthor, who had a full head of red hair in Action Comics number 23, as well as debut of Captain Marvel or Shazam and his main villain, Dr. Sylvania. That's an interesting year for villains. I mean, like, oh yeah, a bunch of big tentpole characters came to life, if you will, in 1940. After World War II, the country was ready to lighten up, which gave us such comical villains as the prankster and the toy man for Superman, the cheetah for Wonder Woman, an evil worm named Mister Mind for Captain Marvel, which I think Mr. Mind is actually going to be in the next Captain Marvel Shazam movie. I think
1: he's at the end in the credit scene. And I don't Uh, think anyone in the audience knew who the hell it was.
0: No, no one knew. Not at all. And of course, Mr. Mitzel pick, you know, how do you you say it? I can never say
1: his name right. I always thought it was Mixie's Pitalik, but looking at the spelling now, I'm completely wrong. Yeah, it's. I would it's say,
2: old. I say Mitzelplick. Okay. Yeah, something like
0: that. Yeah. Mitzelplick. We'll go, we'll go with that. Mr. Mitzelplick, sure. Which anybody knows is a like a fifth dimensional imp that is a court jester from the land of Zerf who used his magic to play practical jokes on earthlings and Superman. And this is where we also learned that one of Superman's weaknesses is to magic huh. and super corny. But as the 1940s came to an end, superhero comics were being eclipsed in popularity by crime and horror comics. After a decade of popularity, most of the Golden Age heroes fell prey to the changing tastes of the public and the
1: villains fell with them.
0: Which brings us to the real monsters. Dun, dun, dun.
1: So this article is called Oh, the Beasties We've Seen. Uh, It's really fun and it covers the monsters of the 30s, 40s, and 50s, highlighting the work of the king of monsters, Jack Kirby, who returned to Marvel in 1957 to a struggling line of science fiction, Western, and romance titles. Under the guidance of editor-writer Stan Lee, the line was revamped to feature big Kirby monsters in books like Strange Tales, Tales of Suspense, Tales to Astonish, and Journey into Mystery. Now, just some of the monsters that Kirby's imagination gave birth to were Orgo the Unconquerable, Pildor the Plunderer from Outer Space, The Thing That Could Not Die, Fin Fang Foom, Krang, and now most famously, Groot. So these Kirby comics were obviously a huge inspiration for the early issues of Fantastic Four. Obviously, Thing was kind of birthed out of that. Mole Man as well. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts on the Kirby monsters?
2: I absolutely love them. I like it when people review them. There was a mini-series called um, Monsters on the Prowl, from 2005-ish, you had Steve Niles from Thirty Days of Night, the Tom Sneguski guy who wrote that Punisher Magic Jacket miniseries, and uh, really great art by uh, Duncan Fregredo, and the covers by Eric Powell of the Goon. It's basically like a story where like the Mole Man and the Collector get into a fight, and somehow all these monsters get unleashed. Like now, and like. The Hulk and the Thing have to have to fight all these monsters by themselves because the Avengers are off doing something else. So it's a that sounds it's a like great, a ton of fun. Yeah, it's awesome,
0: sounds like a lot of fun. That it's an awesome fun.
2: miniseries. It's an awesome miniseries. They're, 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 it's it's republished in a, a beautiful hardcover that also has some of the other like classic stories in it. Seek it out. It's great, great stuff.
0: This is the funny thing that you think about. You know, there are so many Marvel villains. That the MCU can bring to life in cinema, that they can make movies forever and still have huh? new villains popping up all the time. I forgot that Groot was originally considered a monster, or you know, mm-hmm. a, a, a something a Jack Kirby monster essentially. I forgot all about that, which is pretty interesting. These are really cool villains. I'd love to see them played more in modern comics they don't come up very often anymore
1: which is kind of a shame but it'd be interesting to see them resurge and of course this gave birth to the 1970s marvel monster rebirth with books like tomb of dracula ghost rider werewolf by night and blade john i know you love those books i'm gonna i'm gonna make
2: a prediction right now i'm gonna say the next major mcu villain to watch is dracula he's supposed to be in the new doctor strange He's going to be in Blade. I think the new Thanos is Dracula. That's just, that's, this is my prediction. I don't know if it's going to come true, but uh, we already know he's supposed to be in like two movies. So,
0: now here's the funny thing about that. If Universal owns the monster, like the Universal Monsters, can they
1: use Dracula in the MCU? He's public domain. They can't use the Lugosi design. Right. But they can use any other design they come up with.
0: Okay.
2: The Marvel the Marvel Dracula is sometimes referred to as the Gene Colon Dracula. Like Gene Colan, there's a very distinct look to the Marvel Dracula with the mustache. You know, I don't know if they're gonna do that in the Doctor Strange movie or in Blade whatever. I don't I have no I have no idea what they're gonna come up with, but I I think he's gonna I think he's gonna be big.
1: Well they're obviously leaning into the whole magic and mysticism with Agatha Harkness and WandaVision. And it seems like Doctor Doom will also be a huge villain in this next phase of Marvel and they're gonna lean into his magic and mysticism and sorcery and all that kind of stuff so yeah that could be really cool also Werewolf by Night would be a great movie or series that'd be so cool to see them do that so yeah so speaking of uh, this we're gonna move into the next section villains of the Silver Age so here's my question do you guys know who is considered the first official villain of the Silver Age Uh, if you had to guess just venture a guess I think it's a Flash villain isn't it very good.
0: Because the Flash is the is the essentially the the spark that creates the the, the Silver Age. Uh, is it Mirror Master?
1: No, John. Do you have any guesses? The
0: the Cold Guy,
1: <laughs> Captain Cold. No, yeah. it is the it's Turtle Man. <laughs> Turtle oh. Man is the Boo. <laughs> Silver Age villain. So he was the nemesis that the Flash first faced in Showcase Number Four in October of 1956. Okay, this is what they say in here. The Turtle Man has the most useless gimmick of all time. He moves extraordinarily slowly. The theory was that his nemesis, the Flash, would have a hard time perceiving his remarkably slow movements. The gimmick didn't work any better in practice than it sounds in theory. So, you know, as we were saying, the mid-50s were uh, one of the low points in the history of superhero comics. Uh, After their circulation was diminished by horror, romance, and crime comics, superheroes suffered further indignities at the hands of psychiatrist Frederick Wortham's book, Seduction of the Innocent. Wortham linked childhood consumption of comics with juvenile delinquency, and his book led to the creation of the Comics Code Authority, which in turn led to the shutdown of EC Comics. Publishers decided that they had to move away from the monsters and, and crime and go back to superheroes. Those were a safe bet. I actually used some of this book now, thinking about it. In eighth grade, I did a report on the golden age of comic books for an American history project. And the dark book was a large part of my (laughs) bibliography. Really? Yeah. I talked a lot about Frederick Wortham and the, uh, comics code authority. So after the comics code authority, the new villains started to reflect the times. For instance, the Superman villain, Titano was an extremely intelligent chimpanzee who was launched into space as part of an experiment. (laughs) Uh, other DC villains birthed during the silver age were Brainiac, the parasite, Metallo, and two escapees from the Phantom Zone, General Zod and Jax Ur. Carmen Infantino brought to life some of the absolute best villains of the Silver Age for the Flash, heavies like Gorilla Grodd, Captain Cold, the Weather Wizard, and Reverse Flash. So, Hmm. of course, what brand do you think owned the Silver Age? I mean, it's got to be Marvel, I guess, because of Spider-Man, right? John, do you think Marvel or DC has the better Silver Age villains?
2: Well, I think you explained it with the turtle, so it obviously (laughs) we have to be Marvel.
1: It was Marvel, according to Wizard. Uh, when it came to villains, they focused a level of character development, which pre- previously only superheroes had enjoyed. Uh, obviously, Fantastic Four villains like the Mole Man, the Puppet Master, and Doctor Doom, who had tragic backstories. Uh, but the article dives deep into the rogues' gallery of Spider-Man, shining a light on the many villains who received their powers as a result of tragic and often, often empowering accidents, such as the Green Goblin, Electro, Sandman, Doctor Octopus, the Molten Man, and the Lizard. Uh, so yeah, so this is a question as old as time. Comic book geeks have argued this forever. Let's give a definitive answer here. Who has the better rogues gallery? Batman or Spider-Man? Batman. Obviously, I have to say Batman. I have to Whoa. say Batman. <laughs> <laughs> I would also I, I, say Batman. I
0: mean, even in the like the, the Sinister Six, really only three of them are that big of a deal for Spider-Man, but there's so many deep rooted villains in in Batman lore that you could just rifle off 10 names off the top of your head without even you know thinking about it.
1: Well, I'll say this, let's let's look at this argument. So you had Batman the movie which had Joker, Batman Returns which had Penguin and Catwoman, Batman Forever which had Riddler and Two-Face, and then Batman and Robin, Mr. Freeze and Poison Ivy. Are those great villains for a movie? Well, Mr. Freeze is a. I mean,
0: if you look, you know, that Heart of Ice story and, you know, animated series, Mr. Yeah. Mr. Freeze is a great yeah. villain. Exactly. Yes. Know? Yes. Okay. I agree with
1: that. Okay. Fair I enough. Mean, I
0: mean, I look at it like this you know, look at the Spider Man movies. You start strong with Green Goblin, then you go to Dr. Octopus, which I still think Spider Man 2 is probably the best superhero movie ever made mm-hmm. because. Dr. Octopus is so good in that movie. But then you go to the third movie, you have Venom, but really badly done. But then you have the Sandman. Bad. You know, like, the Sandman is not that big of a villain. Like, who nobody really cares about that character. And then, you know, they go to the uh, Amazing Spider-Man 1, they've got the Lizard, and they don't do that great. <laughs> no, and the Lizard not is an interesting well. villain. Then Amazing Spider-Man 2, they have Electro. Which Electra's a cool villain, and they don't do it great in that movie, but it's fine. It's passable. But then they do that horrible Harry Osborne goblin esque yeah. thing. You know, I, I don't know. I think if you looked, if you laid out a, a deck of cards with pictures of villains, the, the Batman villains would win out, honestly. Absolutely. Because I
2: say at this point, the only ones that I see as being relevant for Spider Man, and I could be wrong, are the, the symbiotes. Like, the, that's what people want to see. People want to see Venom and Carnage. There's no, there's no kid sitting at home saying, "I really hope they do the Vulture again." <laughs> like, there's no one saying that. Everyone who's a fan of Spider-Man, that's what they want to see. They want to see a maximum carnage like trilogy of movies. All the other ones are secondary, and, and those guys have been around for what, like thirty years now. Yeah, you know, yeah, too. exactly. So that's why they're my number two.
1: I, I was actually very surprised at how well Mysterio played the new Spider-Man movie from
0: home. Oh, I, I, th- I thought that was pretty good. I thought Jake Gyllenhaal was really good doing the Mysterio. I didn't love some of the angles they took with the story, but as a villain and the way they, they like did the effects and everything was pretty cool. I really enjoyed that. I also a think lot.
1: Spidey has some really cool villains that don't get a lot of play uh, in movies like, you know, well, now they're doing a Morbius, a living vampire movie, which is a really cool horror villain. Jack-o'-lantern, the swarm, other cool horror villains. So, there are some deep-cut villains. There's a lot to yeah. play with there in Spider-Man. They both have a great rogues gallery.
0: I think so. I think so. We'll settle it that. So, the next segment says: The Masters of Comics reveal the secrets behind The Masters of Evil: How to Create a Supervillain. This is a very in-depth article with some great names in the comic industry from the Silver Age. We have Jack Kirby. Joe Kubrick, Stan Lee, from the modern age, we have Peter David, John Hartz, Dan Jurgens, Bob Layton, and Kevin Van Hook. And just for good measure, we have noted science
1: fiction writer Harlan Ellison. What did he write? Now Harlan Ellison wrote like a ton of short story books. He most notably wrote the the most famous episode of Star Trek, City on the Edge of Forever, which was then rewritten completely.
2: He wrote Hulk for a while. Harlan
1: Ellison? Oh, okay. I okay. Sorry. He also wrote the episode of Outer Limits, which he claimed James Cameron ripped off for Terminator and then he sued them and made a lot of money off of that. Really?
0: Interesting. So you start with influences. For Jack Kirby and Peter David, that was the movies. For Joe Kubert, it's traveling to museums in Paris and Rome. Meanwhile, Kevin Van Hook and John Hart. Credit the comics they grew up reading. Like Jack Kirby and Stan Lee's work for Fan 4, Spider-Man and Hulk, Frank Frazetta and Fr- Frank Miller and John Burns
1: worked at Marvel and DC. Uh, so next, you move on to motivation. Stan Lee lays it out. We tried to show A, why they were the way they were, and B, specifically what they were trying to do and why they were trying to do it. Makes sense? Yeah. We move on to Honor, where Stanley
0: and Jack Kirby talk about their creations, Doctor Doom and Magneto. According to Stanley, Magneto definitely didn't think of himself as a villain, which I would think so. I think, you know, he's I, I also think that Lex Luthor a lot of times doesn't think he's a villain either. You know, he's sort of like he sees his version of what is good or what is right, so to speak. All he wanted to do
1: was pave the way for the mutants to rule. So next appearances, according to Kirby, villains have to be as spectacular as heroes. Dan Jurgens chimes in to say that villains should stand out. If we have a book that has a bunch of really skinny villains, a unique look becomes a fat guy, a kingpin type of character. The way they, Vincent D'Onofrio doesn't have been daredevil. Oh my God.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, th- I think he's another villain to watch. I think, yeah. I think he's going to be another uh, big player coming up. Yeah.
1: Well, if you guys want so, to revise your top five list at the end of this episode,
0: think about it. <laughs> Kingpin may go on there, just for, just for the hell of it. Yeah. Opponents. <laughs> According to Stanley, we would often tailor villains to fit in with the heroes. However, when you get a really good villain, they can work across different books. Once again, he
1: references Doctor Doom as being this kind of villain. Next up, history. Should a villain have a fully developed backstory when they're, when they're introduced, or should it be a mystery? We've obviously seen this come into play numerous times. Green Goblin's identity was a mystery at first. Joker debuted in 1940, but his origin wasn't revealed until 1951. But they've also retconned that a million times. That his origin is always sort of like a mystery in a lot of cases. That's true too. Here and there. I'm just saying so, what and- the Wizard said in this magazine.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wizard says <laughs> says a lot of things. So there's also revamps. If a villain has been around for a while, they might need some freshening up. We get a funny quote from Harlan Ellis where he refers to the modern age of comics as the adamantium error and says, everybody is real heavy steel razored and armed to the teeth. Even Daredevil's got spikes on him nowadays (laughs) in the 90s. Finally, we get mistakes. For Stan Lee, it's making a shallow villain with no real humanity. He mentions that once on a time crunch, he created the villain Diablo and says, Diablo was the one character I felt I had totally
1: and completely failed. Wow. Well, speaking of a villain that he failed at, here's a villain that he succeeded at. There's a one-page article interview with Stanley and Jack Kirby on the creation of Dr. Doom. So Jack Kirby describes Dr. Doom as a perfectionist who encased his entire face in a mask of steel because he had a small scar on his chin. Lee says, I had to get somebody really great for the Fantastic Four to fight. You can't let them fight a jaywalker or a Litterbug. It occurred to me that a guy... Who was the king of his own country would start out very powerful. So here's the part that I found the most amusing. Stanley says, "What I loved about Doom was he would come to New York and he would commit a crime and they couldn't arrest him because he had diplomatic immunity. Very few <laughs> villains can't be arrested because they are the kings of sovereign nations.
0: <laughs> That's
1: a fair That's point.
0: A, true. Good point. So is the that, next is article that is
2: really oh. in issues. Is that like in can? Like I don't remember ever.
0: I guess I guess it was if, if, if said Stanley it. Yeah. said it was, yeah. I guess so. The next article says the Carnage Catalog, a survey of villainous gizmos, gimmicks, gadgets and gear. A fun little article where we dive into the hardware, the weapons, the secret layers and even the mechanical appendages of villains like Dr. Doom's mechanical arms, the scorpions tail. And Stiltman's stilts,
1: because everybody knows about Stiltman, right?
0: Oh yeah. He's he's um, a good
1: Daredevil villain, despite what they say <laughs> okay. in this issue.
0: Okay. Their weapons of unknowable power, like the cosmic cube and Mandarin's rings, hats and helmets, like the Mad Hatter's hats, and Mysterio's fishbowl. Finally, we dive into their super villain modes of transportation. What would you guys choose from this list? The Tricksters Air Shoes, the Brainiac's Brain Ship, the Goblin Gliders, M.O.D.O.C.'s ho- Hover Chair, or, or the Killer Moths Mothmobile. John, what do you got?
2: I love Modox, so I'm gonna go with that chair. I do and like Modox. And and you know what else? I could I could you know do my work in that chair. I feel <laughs> like it would be really great. I feel like I can walk the dog I just got in that chair. So I'm
1: going with Modoc's chair. I, I put that in the outline, John, knowing you would pick Modoc's chair. I just knew it. I would go with the Killer Moth's Mothmobile just because it's basically the Batmobile with a moth on it. I love Brainiac's
0: brain chip just because of the all the bottled cities inside of it. I find that really cool. <laughs> I don't
1: know it's, why quite, I it's, it's single cool. occupancy, according to this article. Oh, really? Okay. So it would just be you alone with a bunch of little <laughs> miniature cities. <laughs> I guess. So <laughs>
0: ne- the next article we have is the Villains of the Modern Age. And by modern age, we mean 1994, folks, because that's the year we're in. Villains of the Modern Age seems to have... An incidental interest in committing crime. Sure, there are still robberies, murders, and other atrocities being perpetrated by today's comic book villain, but the real goal in the 90s is the accumulation of power. On the Marvel side, we have Venom and his hatred for Spider-Man that borders on insanity. Of course, Venom paved the way for our cover baddie and one of the most memorable villains of the 90s, Carnage. While Eddie was in prison, the alien created an offspring, which eventually merged with Brock's cellmate, convicted serial killer Cletus Cassidy. And as John mentioned earlier, who will be soon played by Woody Harrelson. And it's kind of funny because I'm re-watching Cheers on Hulu <laughs> and to see that Woody Harrelson and now today's Woody Harrelson, it just it cracks me up all the time. The combination became known as Carnage because Cassidy is even more deranged than Brock and will kill for no reason at all. What do you guys think about Carnage?
2: I love Carnage. I, I mean, I, Venom's cool. Venom has a cool look. But then You know, you take a serial killer and you give him the same powers to me that 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 is truly a recipe for villainy. And like I said, it's we've had him around for 30 years. He's not going anywhere. He's just as popular. He's more popular now. He's getting his own books. He's a one of the top villains still.
1: I agree. I feel like he was such a big deal when he came out. You know, every kid in middle school was talking about this badass version of Venom who was a serial killer and kind of telling the origin story. His design is better than Venom's, in my opinion. It's just so much cooler and the swirling red and black. I think he's kind of one of the definitive villains of the 90s, in my opinion. The 90s comics became like that kind of extreme, more for adults. Do you guys think that
0: when they created Carnage, they kind of tried to make a Spider-Man Equivalent to having his own Joker because Carnage is very chaotic. He is a psychopath, just like the Joker. He's a serial killer, which is similar to the Joker. You know, I wonder if there was some sort of like somewhere deep down, they're like, you know, we could make a supercharged version of the Joker for Spider Man. I think it was
2: more to use a wrestling analogy. You had the Undertaker. The Undertaker was cool. He's a good bad guy. But people like him so much, you had to make him a good guy. So now that The Undertaker is a good guy, we need to bring in the red and black bad guy version for him to fight which was (laughs) that's a
0: good analogy actually bringing in kane wow
2: so basically venom became too cool and people liked him so much todd mcfarlane art i think that marvel said make venom kind of a good guy and we need a a better venom so a serial killer with those powers
1: john you seriously took the words right out of my mouth i was going to use the wrestling analogy where basically venom was starting to to become too popular with the crowd Yeah. He's becoming a face, and so they needed a, a heel to fight the face Venom. So, yeah, that's yeah. I, I completely agree. He was just kind of created to make a Venom esque villain for Venom. It did work, that's for sure. And that video game, Me- how cool was that video game?
2: I love it. Still got my red cartridge. Carnage. Oh, really? I love that. Yeah. For red Genesis. Car- for Genesis.
0: Wow. I haven't played that game in a long time. It's a good game. Long, long time. <laughs> Meanwhile, over at DC, Superman did battle with a new class of villain such as Lex Luthor 2, the Eradicator, Cyborg Superman and Doomsday. Batman took on Bane, perhaps the only Batman villain of note to be introduced in the modern times. Over at Valiant, you've got Master Dark, a 200-year-old villain whose necromantic abilities are powered by death energy as well as the other man who can alter his appearance, kind of like Dark Man, if you ask me, <laughs> and the shape of his body at will?
1: Uh, one at quick N- aside here John was Dark Man <laughs> once for Halloween, and Michael yeah, hates Dark Man.
0: I hate Dark Man so much. Wait, I hate it. You hate the Sam Raimi Dark Man? Oh, yeah, I hate Dark Man. Really? I hate it so much. I hate it. It made me so mad, that movie. <laughs> you were disgusted by Dark Man. I was disgusted by Dark Man. At Malibu's Ultraverse, their most notorious villain was Hardwire, who uses his energy as claws. Boo. Finally, the most popular villain in the Image Comics stable at this time, The Violator, the spawn villain that came from the eighth. Sphere of Hell.
1: Oh, that's the worst of the spheres.
0: Obviously. Because we only know about the seven. If you're you're Catholic, you only know the seven. So when you hear this in eight, you're like, oh boy, it's over. Big time. So guys, who is your favorite modern villain as per 1994? I mean, I guess we already just said Carnage, obviously.
2: (laughs) And I also, Doomsday was also in my top, is is one of my top guys. But I, I really do like the cyborg Superman, I, I mm-hmm. kind of going back to my love of the maestro. I, I like villains that are like, kind of have a piece of the hero. And I also really like, uh, I think, I think Violator is a great villain. And I think, I think when Blumhouse gets around to making that spawn movie, I think Violator is going to be a big deal again. Oh, something to mention w- where they said that they're the only, w- what did they say about the the Batman villains? Bane
1: being the only villain Bane was the only, it, perhaps the only Batman villain note to be introduced in the modern times, which yeah. he,
2: Absolutely hilarious to look back on. Hilarious, so absurd that statement. With Jim Lee calling Harlequin the fourth pillar of the DC universe.
1: <laughs> was now. she in, was she in comic books by then, or was she just in yes. the Batman the anim- she was Oh in the, yeah. Batman, the animated yep. series, comic book in '94. Yes. yes. Oh yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Book. Actually, her her first appearance is in Batgirl, the animated series. Yep. I- I think it's like number one was or something. No, she, it, but,
2: you know, no it's she Batman in the-, the animated series. She's on the cover with Batgirl.
0: But but the cover actually says Batgirl like they cross out Batman. If you look at the cover, I have the you know, the reprint of it from a couple of years ago. Okay. But yeah, and I I forget what number it is. But yeah, she's she's in the comics at this point. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, I I really like Bane at this time because I feel like, you know, Bane was so
1: significant to me as a Batman fan. You know, how could anybody do that to Batman? There's someone that I forgot to mention. And, you know, all this talk about the maestro and evil Superboy made me realize who my favorite villain was in this modern era, Parallax. So I was going to say Parallax also, but. Did Parallax
0: come out before or after this book? That's a good question now. Because he's not covered in this book, is he? Because we would have talked about it, I would assume. They've teased him by this point in Wizard. So based
1: on this book, Parallax doesn't exist yet. But by so this that's why point, Bane. By this point, Hal Jordan had gone crazy. I guess so, yeah. And had killed multiple Green Lanterns. <laughs> yeah, so speaking of modern villains, the next article is called The Creators Speak Up About Modern Villains. So we get a joint interview with, with Dan Jurgens and Peter David. Jurgens talks about the difficulty of adapting classic Superman villains for these times. And one of his solutions was, I want to take Toyman and make him psychotic because Superman has no psychotic villains. So he turned Toyman into a child killer. And believe it or not, they got a lot of negative responses. Jurgens admits, that it may have been too manipulative and push things in a direction that we did not want to go. Did you guys read Toy Man as a psychotic child killer? Do you remember this at all? No. My
0: most fond memory of Toy Man is from the Superman animated series because, like, he's got the, the toy head and, you know, he kind of talks like a little kid. And I love those episodes of the Superman animated series. But in the comics, I just thought of him as,
1: like, just a, a crazy obsessed toy maker so he was played by Sherman Helmsley in Lois and Clark I just looked it up I thought it was Bronson Pinchot it was Sherman Helmsley which is just (laughs) as weird it is pretty weird yeah I don't remember that either and it sounds weird and crazy so speaking of pushing things Peter David points out that he's the guy that turned the Spider-Man 2099 version of the vulture into a cannibal I don't remember that either do you remember that nope Adam would know. So, David also had success modernizing two incredible Hulk villains, The Leader and Abomination. The article speculates that the future will hold more villains like Doctor Doom and Magneto, meaning they won't consider themselves bad guys. Kind of a telling prediction, I'd say. So, another article in this uh, dark book is villains who have seen the light, bad guys who have done good, and good guys who have done bad. So it says, tendencies towards good or evil can be fragile. Just as an initial twist of fate can create a hero or villain, a change of circumstances can easily cause a change of heart. Some villains who saw the light were Wonder Man, who was a wealthy businessman that became a a pawn of Baron Zemo in order to compete with Tony Stark. And he ultimately had a change of heart when he saved the Avengers at the cost of his own life. Of course, years later, he was revived. Uh, Other Marvel villains that had similar changes of heart include Quicksilver, scarlet witch and banshee the article dives deep into the saga of jean gray from marvel girl to phoenix a dark phoenix where she rampaged through the universe causing untold billions of death by absorbing the energy of stars (laughs) i feel like she deserves a place in our top tens as well
2: yeah i mean dark phoenix uh, it, it didn't grab me the way say like the other either the Cyborg Superman or the Maestro did. I don't know what it is about that Jean Grey. I also really wouldn't consider that her a villain necessarily. It's. I, I don't really agree with their interpretation here.
1: But if you talk about death toll, like you were talking about Judge Death, I mean yeah. billions of people here <laughs> yeah, I guess at the so. hands of Jean Grey.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess, but there, I mean. But what was her motivation? I feel like it's more like by accident.
0: You know what also is... You know We're also looking at Jean Grey and the Phoenix from a 2021 lens where we've seen it redone and remanufactured. and That's true. And made it less than what it may have been back then. Like It was so significant 30, 40 years ago That's than true, it is yeah. today. Like Because of the two failed movies, they've brought it back in the comics a bunch of times. Nowadays... Anybody can get possessed by the Phoenix in in the Marvel world. It's super annoying at this point. Like, I don't care. (laughs) You know, Captain America was possessed by the Phoenix for a brief moment in Avengers versus X-Men. I was like, really? Come on. This
1: is so stupid. So, similar to other bad female villains, if we're talking cats... No two villains have played with the hearts of their heroes more than Black Cat and Catwoman. So after the death of her father, Black Cat developed a fixation on Spider-Man and stole several great works of art to prove her love to him. That's never happened to me. No one's ever stolen great works of art to prove their love to me. Meanwhile, Catwoman has almost given up her criminal career a few times just to be with Batman. Thoughts on Black Cat and Catwoman, and who do you prefer? John, you go first. Well, as far
2: as villains go, I prefer Catwoman because now we know. That Batman got with Catwoman. We <laughs>
0: have, Helena
2: Wayne? Yes. We know that. <laughs> yes. For certain. We, we don't really know how far Black Cat and
0: Peter Parker have gone. So. There's no way to like- know definitively like i i love catwoman Lena kyle as a character i think she's a great major character in the batman world and also in comics but i also really like black cat because i think she's a better counterpart for peter parker than mary jane watson i think she challenges him more
2: I like them both, but I I understand what you're saying.
1: Yeah. Steven, what about you? I remember when I was working at Midtown Comics, an older guy came up to me. He was in an argument with his friend and he goes to me, yo, who's hotter, Black Cat or Catwoman? <laughs> and I'm like, do you mean like the actors? Like, like, like Julie Newmar? What, what are you talking about? He's like, no, the characters. I'm like, I, I don't know. Conversations you have in comic book stores. And he got really mad at me. I think I I think I said Black Cat and he got mad at me and then stormed off. As comic nerds would do. What do you mean?
0: Yeah, crazy. It was like in
1: his fifties. I mean, you'd think he found other things to be upset about. But no, this was the biggest issue in his life. Uh, I would say Catwoman, just based on my love of the Batman comics, the Batman TV show. And at this point, uh Joe Duffy was writing Catwoman. It was that purple suit run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I love that run. So I would say Catwoman.
0: Okay, fair. Next, we have an article titled The Worst of the Worst, The Villain Hall of Shame. So we're going to end on a bit of a lighter note. What Wizard Magazine thought were the worst villains of all time. First up, they have Paste Pot Pete first appearance strange tales number 103 pete uses his paste gun to trap his opponents while that may be effective it's got to be one of the strangest gimmicks ever devised at least he realized pretty early on that he had a pretty dumb name and started calling himself the trapster wow that's pretty bad (laughs) john what do you have next on the list
2: well the next is uh an app that my uh, girlfriend is on. It's called a uh, Beard Hunter. <laughs> and beard Hunter first appeared in Doom Patrol number 45. The Beard Hunter has a grudge against men with beards because he couldn't grow one of his own. So he fought a lonely war against facial hair, killing bearded men and shaving off their whiskers to wear on his belt as trophies.
1: He's the Buffalo Bill of comics. <laughs> <laughs> That's a unique gimmick. I have to give it up for Beard Hunter. I've never That's heard of fantastic. such a gimmick Fantastic. I want to write a book about Beard Hunter. This is fantastic. Oh my god, I love it. Yeah,
0: clean up in Williamsburg. <laughs> yeah, Hipsters all over Brooklyn are doomed. <laughs> I mean,
2: myself included. I'd, I'd have to fight him.
1: <laughs> you would. I'm oh looking my at a god. picture of him now. He's a blonde guy with a red suit with a skull on the, on the chest with a long beard hanging down. He does have a beard of belts. And yeah, he was on Doom Patrol. Uh, He
2: was a recurring character uh, on Doom
1: Patrol. Belt of beards. I just want to get more (laughs) into Beard Hunter because this is so weird. It's so fascinating. (laughs) Born with a hormone deficiency that prevented him from growing a beard. The young man known as Ernest Franklin grew resentful of beards. As we said, yeah. So a hormone deficiency. Okay. He has zero powers.
2: How are we going to use his hormone efficiency against him? him? (laughs) That's so weird. I'll I'll lure him out with my beard.
1: So the next villain on this list is kind of a shocker. It's Mysterio. It says first appearance. It's not the shocker. (laughs) It's true. It's not the shocker. It's Mysterio. First appearance, Amazing Spider-Man number 13. It says mysterious abilities. He can create illusions and hypnotize others are actually kind of cool, but that fishbowl headgear looks so darn ridiculous that, that it's impossible to take him seriously. Thoughts on Mysterio? I, I like Mysterio. I
0: liked him in the animated series. I like him in the comics. Like I said, I liked him in this home movie. I have no problem with Mysterio. I don't care either way.
2: He had that Daredevil, Kevin Smith story. and um,
0: That's right. I yeah. like the fishbowl. Yeah, I do too. I it's like an Fish iconic Bowl. design. So it's whatever. one of the
1: best designs for a Spider-Man yeah. villain.
0: So the next one. Whew, here we go. Kangaroo. First appearance, Amazing Spider-Man number 81. A native of Australia, the kangaroo got his great leaping ability when he lived in kangaroo country, eating what they ate and going where they went. As Batrock has learned, there's only so much a guy can do by jumping around. This is a f- villain for Spider Man, kangaroo. <laughs> he was eating kangaroo sh- and became a f- super villain.
1: Oh my god. I think Stanley has said numerous times that he would just go through these nature books and look at animal names. <laughs> he's just and that's how he reading came National of- Geographic and he's like,
0: kangaroo, there we go. Exactly.
1: Eventually, yep. he came up to the kangaroo, it didn't stick. But Doctor Octopus stuck. Other animal villains stuck. The Rhino. So, I just like that the kangaroo wasn't considered a failure by Stanley. <laughs> I guess, but, yeah. You know,
2: Diablo was a failure. Kangaroo, kangaroo's a okay. That was a win.
1: He kind of looks like Thundar the Barbarian. If I had to describe him, that I don't know who that is either. John, you know who Thunder what?
2: the Barbarian? Of course is. I know. Yes, God, of course. <laughs>
0: He's like He Man, yeah. But like the okay, John. Who's next on our list here?
2: Next on our list is Anger the Screamer first appeared in Daredevil 101. Anger uses his screams to produce visual hallucinations. As Daredevil once said, he's like a living LSD factory.
0: <laughs> okay, interesting. I games. mean, I guess with, with with you know, with Daredevil having heightened hearing senses, I guess that could be not the worst villain you could think of for for a Daredevil villain. The next one we have is Captain Cadaver. First appearance, Elementals number 6 captain cadaver possesses most of the usual vampiric abilities but he was only three feet tall and could not assume a fully human form he was also in the habit of wearing a fanged smiley face on his chest who is his and like who is his you know counterpart or i don't know this villain at all
2: is it is it bad that i feel like this sounds like a like creator-owned dark horse character like i I feel like this would like play now like if if this was like a you know like if like steve niles was writing this and like eric powell was drawing it i feel like this would be like a hot book am am i I crazy
0: you're not wrong it probably would be something that would pop up a lot right now i would think
1: just uh looking it up captain cadaver has a weakness toward fire also running water can apparently kill him (laughs)
2: so yeah that's no, that's, that's hammer inspired. That's like the Christopher <laughs> Lee hammer Dracula. You can destroy him with running water. That's, that's okay. a, that's a hammer
1: reference. All right. Wow. So there you go. Okay. So lastly, that's we weird. have, so lastly, we have a supervillain team called the death throws. First appearance, Captain America 317. The death throws are a group of criminals who use the deadly art of juggling to commit crime. Uh, juggling bowling pins just doesn't work against the Avengers. <laughs> So, <laughs> the deadly art of juggling a, a whole team of bad villains. Are, are, they, are they the Marvel answer to the Royal Flush Gang? I guess. I guess so. <laughs> I have to say, I really respect the amount of work Wizard had to do to compile that list of terrible pre-internet, villains. pre-internet. <laughs> and you know, as a kid, I thought this was so funny, so amusing to read this list. I feel like Pastepot Pete becomes a running joke. In, in, like, the pages of Wizard, CBIQ, I think, uses pastepot Pete a lot. So it's just one of those running gags that started in the Dark <laughs> I, Book. I just had this funny vision of, like, some intern in wizard's
0: office sitting in front of like a compact persario loading up aol and just having the dial-up sound trying to search for some sort of history of bad villains to get this article written as <laughs> my brain just went i don't know well, why. why would
1: you even go back then there was no place to go that would have there was a no database book. Of, I, of villains you'd have to go I into guess. the archives or just have someone some nerd that knew everything about 60s yeah. and 70s comics.
0: So, as we kind of bring this to a close, earlier on in the episode we talked about our top 5 villains. Do you guys have any changes to your list? I definitely want to personally throw Kingpin in as like it's number 6 or alternating with whoever I had for number 5 because I forgot like how much of a big deal Kingpin was, especially in this time with the Spider-Man animated series. He's such a big player in that, but I can't really think about who I would take out in place. I mean, I can
2: see why Kingpin went through the fall of Kingpin at this time. It's like Daredevil 297, 298, 299, 300. That storyline is the fall of Kingpin. So Kingpin really isn't active in the comics at this time, so I understand why they didn't put him in there. However, I would definitely like Dracula. I would say he's one of the Marvel villains to watch because D'Onofrio is kind of one of the best things to come out of the Netflix Marvel universe, so I completely see See why they want to bring him into the movies. So I I think we've we've got big things coming for Mr. Fisk. I wouldn't put him in my top five.
1: Okay. I wish I could swap out Parallax for Doc Ock. There's some controversy about when he came into play. I would say maybe Dark Phoenix would be my number four instead of Doc Ock. I really like Dark Phoenix.
0: Really like dark and not like evil Reed Richards when he comes up and he's like psychotic, you know, world-ending.
1: No, 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 Reed's got to be good. Uh, Let me ask you one question before we go. We've talked about our favorites. Who are the best villains of all time? I would say for DC and for Marvel, not favorites, the greatest: Joker, okay, Lex Luthor, Doctor Octopus.
0: Dr. Doom. I guess you what? could say Thanos no, you, now. Yeah,
2: you, you have to say Thanos now. Yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, a lot's changed since 1994. Thanos. Yeah. yeah. You have to say Thanos. Are you going to say Red Skull?
0: I don't know. Red Skull, I, I like Red Skull as a character, but I feel like he feels dated. He's of a different time and a different era. I don't know if he translates as well anymore.
2: I, I, th- I thought he was good during that during that run where they killed Cap during that. that oh, yeah. He, that
0: Parker. is interesting. That was cool. That, that is pretty cool. I, Steven,
1: I would, what do you got? I would agree. DC, definitely Joker. You know, there's no rival to the Joker. Marvel, I would say Dr. Doom. Maybe Galactus just because he's a force of nature this elemental being you don't see that a lot in comics his motivation is just survival there's no personal stake in it so kind of interesting
0: you'd have to assume though galactus would have eaten a lot of planets by now like how many planets is it to, to sustain to sustain that guy he's got to have a lot of planets he needs he planets
1: eaten. give the guy a break guess, uh
0: it's i don't know it's interesting i mean i i think you know of all villains in any thing overall, the one that if you had to like hand a stranger on the street, a picture of a villain, the only one they could name a hundred times out of a hundred is the Joker.
1: I'd agree. That's true.
0: That's I I feel like he transcends all comics and companies because he's just like, you hand a picture of Superman that everyone knows who that is picture of Batman. They know who that is the Joker. They know who that is.
1: It's just one of those things. It just is there. I would also say Joker arrived. Almost fully formed. Where in Batman number one, that storyline is he shows up, no one knows who he is, he has no origin story, and his crime is that he's announcing his crimes before they happen. Which is something that they did in Dark Knight, and which has kind of been like the theme of the character. His origins a mystery, and the way he does things is abnormal. Right. So... And the and the so. design. I mean, his design. It works. Yeah. Yes. It works. Every kid at some point or other
0: is is afraid of a clown at some point. Oh yeah. And then t- to see a clown be a true nightmare for something is is a is a big deal, especially for kids. You know, when when you go to the circus, you just see the clowns. You're like, oh, the clowns. They're they're funny, but they're terrifying at the same time. Ah. Anyway, so. That really, you know, wrapped us up for this entire issue. There was a lot to cover, but it was kind of interesting. It was kind of a fun deviation from what we normally do on the episodes, which I really enjoyed. John, thank you so much for hanging out with us this, this was evening. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you you for having me. Anything you want to promote or shout out, like your social media or what have you?
2: Yeah, I'm on all the social medias just at John Tarani. I'm the only John Tarani in the United States, so. That's pretty cool. Hope we get to do Dark Book number two.
0: I'm game. I'm totally game for that. I'm also, I've enjoyed checking out your collection and and your devil dinosaur statue which I'm still like blown. My head's exploded from that, which is pretty
2: wild. Well, Um, you can never come (laughs) over because you'll die if you see the other (laughs) things. If my devil dinosaur (laughs) blew your mind, then I have Stuff that will
1: kill you. Also, just scare him. Michael's very squeamish about horror villains and blood. (laughs) Very Uh, squeamish. Come in this room, then. This is the this is my horror office.
0: One of my best friends. He has this life size Predator head in his office. (laughs) And when he bought it, he like had me help him like carry it up to his office and set it up. And I'm like holding the Predator face like right in front of me, and I'm like, oh my god, this is horrible. (laughs) Had nightmares for like a week. So I'm just staring predator
1: in the face. John <laughs> had a uh, a life size model of, uh, or like a, it was a replica or a from the original mold of Jason Voorhees without the it's, mask. There's two, the
2: Savini ones on top, and the John Carl Beekler is 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 the one on the bottom. They're both from the wow. movie
1: molds. That's awesome. So that would scare the hell out of you. Michael. That would scare you. Oh, I'd, I'd pee my pants for sure. Their <laughs> shadow
0: right now. <laughs> <laughs> good, I'm glad this was a lot of fun, guys. I really had a good time chatting and you know, talking for for legit two hours about villains, which is pretty cool. Like I I really had a great time having this conversation. And for anybody out there listening, you could find us on Twitter at Wizards Comics on Instagram at at Wizards underscore comics. You could check us out on our youtube channel you can sign up for our patreon patreon.com wizardscomics comics or buy some sweet swag at our t public store when you search for wizards podcast or wizards comics you can find some cool merch if you'd like but until next time don't forget to keep your books bagged and boarded